Well, it's nice to be back. Uh, the Forever Blue podcast after its uh, mid-season break returns with me, Ian Cheeseman, at the helm. Uh, thanks very much to Howard Solicitors, who continue to be the sponsors of this podcast. They're based in Stockport, Ashton and Cheshire. They specialise in all sorts of stuff, including family law. So if you're going through a separation, obviously this is a difficult time of the year for everybody, or you're having problems with access to your children, and that might be a, a real issue for you, or with social services, then you can give them a call on 0161 872 9999 or you can email law at howardsolicitors.com and they'd be delighted to hear from you. Now I've got two guests with me tonight. I'm delighted to say that we have an absolute superstar, um, three obviously guests tonight I say, um, but uh, one of them is an absolute superstar. <laughs> I'm not talking about Andy or Toby. I'm talking about the one and only Mr. Rodney Marsh, who uh, I absolutely loved watching at his, uh, at his peak at Manchester City. And if you've been on my YouTube channel, uh, then you will have seen a recent um, video that I posted up there of Rodney talking about his time at Manchester City. And I know how much he loved it and how much he was loved as well. Um, a absolute flamboyant superstar. And these days, um, you know, a, a superstar of the airwaves as well on Sirius <laughs> XMFC over in uh, the United States, formerly on TalkSport and all sorts of other places. Lovely to see you, Rodney. How are you doing? Hello, boys. How's it all going? Yeah, good. Uh, uh, when he says boys, we've also got um, Andy and Toby with us. Um, Andy was over in Qatar, so we'll ask him about that in a little while, uh, supporting his beloved Wales. And Toby was filling in for me on my newspaper column which I do for Quest Media uh, under the title of Forever Blue while the World Cup was on because I had a little holiday. And once Toby got into full floor talking about the World Cup, I thought I'll leave him to it until the World Cup is over. So he filled in for me. So Andy and Toby, uh, thanks very much for joining us as well tonight. Obviously, we're going to talk about all things Manchester City, but we are going to talk about the World Cup as well. And I know, Rodney, that you would have been having a very close eye on that. What, what did you make of... England's performance, the Manchester City players out there and the tournament in general? Oh, well, where do you want to start? And um, I, I went into the tournament thinking that um, England were going to go to the final. Uh, I looked at the squad of players and I thought uh, England had enough. I think, I think um, you know, with... In my view, I had Saka and Foden as the wide players. I had Harry Kane up front. I had Declan Rice in midfield. I, I also had Jude Bellingham to to break into this into the team. And uh, my only doubt was at the back, and and they they were good as well. But um, I was I was expecting a lot more. I was expecting a lot more from England, and and uh, really, I think they disappointed in the end. I think they disappointed everybody, including themselves, probably as well. It's surprised that the City players, uh, you know, like in the Portugal team, obviously in the England team and elsewhere, didn't progress further because in the end it was only Julian Alvarez who made it all the way to the final, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Um, but having said that, if, if you're looking at... Uh, Ian, I always look at the World Cup and I look at... Uh, especially this one with the timing of it, which was November, December time, which I think was terrible in my view. It works out okay, but some of the things that happened at the World Cup, you talk about Man City players and Julian Alvarez, who, who for me was one of the best players of the tournament, by the way. Um, 
and you think of the injuries that you pick up and you think of the problems that you may have based upon so many games and, and all those things added together. And we've come out of the, of the World Cup and there are quite a few players that are injured. And not only, I don't, I don't mean particularly mean City now, I mean generally quite a few players injured. And the thing that's um, really surprised me, and it really, really did surprise me, was Kevin De Bruyne who I think looked tired during the World Cup. I think in a couple of games, he looked like he you know, he was kind of running on empty and he comes back and he goes straight into a friendly game, which uh, that kind of um, that kind of confused me. I'm sure Pep, who's the greatest coach in the world, had his reasons. But, uh, you know, that, that was one of the things that I thought, well, maybe, maybe that's not the right choice. But there you go. Well, actually, that is the point as well that you make because... Um, it isn't so much about whether you picked up an injury in the World Cup. It's the fact that there's still a season that's going to go on potentially all the way to June the 10th. So players can come back with, you know, a little bit of um, fatigue, if you like, and can then pull a muscle and, and have problems later on. And is that a concern for you, Rodney, that, that the season, you know, is long and that the players who have been out there, and I think City had a record number out there, um, of, of players playing in the World Cup. I know not all of them played every match. 16. Yeah. yeah. Six, they, 16 Man City players, yeah. And they didn't all play in every game. I mean, obviously, Jack Grealish had, uh, uh, you know, very little sort of uh, game time. Edison didn't play at all. You know, there were players that, that weren't really involved, but still, it's a long, long season, isn't it? Well, we're at a stage now, Ian, and, and um, I'm sure that this is being discussed all over not only the Premier League, but all over the world. And that is, I don't know if you saw this recently, that Arsene Wenger wants to have the World Cup every two years. Um, Infantino wants to have it three years. They also want to have a super, super cup of 32 teams. Uh, I mean, when is it time to consider the players? I said something on our show yesterday on Sirius XM here in America. Don't you think, guys, don't you think it's time that... That the that FIFA and the Premier League and all the leagues don't you think it's time that we had like a, a maybe a three five man panel of players, you know, like a you know, this we can think of numerous num numbers of players and numerous different players, but as an example, a Vincent Company type uh, when he was playing, um, you know, Harry Kane maybe to say, well, hang on a minute. Why you keep? You're not thinking about the players. You're not thinking about our fitness. You're not thinking about our well-being. Why do you want to keep on playing more and more and more and more without consulting the players? And I've always, I've had a problem with that. You know, I just think it's time that we did something like that. I'll bring the other two in in a second, but on the same point that you're making, which I wholeheartedly agree with, by the way. Um, what about fans too? I mean. You know, obviously, if the people listening to this podcast are the type who, and this is not judging one or the other, but if you're the type of fans who just watch games on television, then the fact that there might be wall-to-wall -wall matches that, that run for a season might not bother them too much. But as a fan who's attended matches all my life and now has saturation coverage of football on television... Uh, you know, I'm I'm fatigued watching and eventually <laughs> there comes a breaking point where you just can't go to games anymore. And as soon as you start picking and choosing, your loyalty starts to diminish 
And that, that's a little bit of a concern for me, you know, that yeah. it's just too much. There needs to be less games and a break. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that, Ian. But from a from a fan's point of view, which I'm a fan, by the way, today I'm a fan. Um, you, at least you can say, well, I won't go to the the Moose Cup, uh, Caribou Cup. I call it the Moose Cup because it's so useless. Um, I'll, I'll miss out on the Moose Cup this year. Or if we get drawn against the team uh, in the FA Cup, it's like Barnet or something like that. I'll miss out on those games. And I'll look at the I'll look at the big games or, or the majority of the big games. And then maybe that's a choice. That's a choice for a fan. For a player, you can't suddenly say as a player, well, I don't really want to play boss this week. You know, I do, can I have the week off or two weeks off? You can't do that. It's your job to play football. And I just wonder when all of these uh, suits and these, you know, the, the brainiacs that come up with all these new competitions and new World Cups and new, we've got to play this and we've got to play extra time and then extra time on top of extra time. And I just wonder why they don't have somebody in there to say, well, hang on a minute. Let's think this through. And you don't, I don't seem to, I don't think that's happening. Right. I'm going to bring in Toby first before I bring in Andy. And the reason I'm doing that is because I want to particularly talk to Andy about his experiences out in the World Cup. But on the subjects we're just talking about, you're a fan, Toby. You've never played the game. Well, you might have played five a side or something, but you've never played the game seriously. <laughs> so you've got to look at it from a pure fan's perspective. And you're a young fan as well. You mm. listen to what Rodney said about the fatigue that players um, you know, might feel, will feel, I'm sure. And also my comments looking at it from a a fan perspective give us your perspective on that I mean I'm a young fan who's you know I, I haven't been going as long as as you have Ian um so like for me having more games is great because I, I go to every game um from my perspective only um I love going to every game I I, I love going to I like the, the likes of the FA Cup and as the and the Moose Cup as Rodney calls it um you know I, I love going to different ground I absolutely love it so more games for me, I, I I don't mind from a fan's perspective, but I do completely agree with both of you from a from a um from a, from a perspective of protect the players. We were talking about it before the World Cup started um in that podcast, and you know there is nothing in place at the moment to protect the players. So you know the more games there are, the more danger the players are in. Um, that I think they were talking about more teams at the World Cup at the, at the next World Cup as well. Um, and then they're talking about this bigger, what is it? It's, it's a, a bigger um, Club World Cup or something as well. I haven't had a proper look into it, I, I, I can't yeah. be honest. But um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's nuts. And and yeah, I, I think the idea of, of having a panel of ex-players who played the game, who understand um, what it's like to, to go through that fatigue is a great idea. I'm very surprised about Arsene Wenger's stance. And I was very surprised the first time he said it because he's worked closely. He worked at Arsenal and in the most competitive league for what, 20, over 20 years. And so I'm so surprised that he couldn't come from a perspective of protect the players. We see Pep all the time. We see, he says, we've seen him saying press conferences, protect the players. And, you know, more games isn't going to do that. De Bruyne are coming back after, a, after the World Cup. He's meant, I said it in the, in the, um, in the forever blue column in 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 the in the paper he's going to be mentally drained from it he's not you know they've, they've gone out very unexpectedly they've it, that's been generally a very underperforming belgium side by the way 
um, over the years um, for their, you know, golden generation. So he's going to be mentally drained. And then you put him into a friendly match and it's like, what are you doing? Harland, great, put him in there. He's been sitting on the beach for a month. He, 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 he was desperate for a game. But yeah. I, I don't understand the, the choice of De Bruyne. You know, the players that got that were in that World Cup, okay, maybe you could argue only got to the groups um, and he's left the likes of the ones that got to the quarters, um, fatefully for the England side. Um, and then obviously the, the the Portugal side as well, they've left them out, which is obviously, and, and can I see them being involved on, on Thursday? I don't think so, but I, 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 I don't understand it. I really don't. It, it, the, 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 the need from, I understand from a TV rights and from a, from a fan who's, you know, who watches it from their sofa. Again, there's no disrespect for that at all. You know, there are different types of fans, but so, so it's great. And for me, who, who's only just started going, who, um, as in, in the last sort of 10 years, um, but only really started going to every game in the last few years. Um, you know, it's great because because then I go and explore all these different grounds and I can really rack up the games and and say I've been here and been here and I've watched this here and you know it gains the experience. But for the players, it's just it's it's criminal. Just let me ask you this then, Toby. If, if for example, and you're saying you go to every game at the moment, and I know you do, um, if suddenly there's a World Club Cup competition which is staged staged in the United States or whatever, mm. and City have got eight competitive games out there, yeah. Uh, if you can't afford to go. Because uh, I had a com- conversation with one of the city directors many years ago when the full members' cup was introduced, and I said, every time you introduce something new, you test the loyalty of the of the fans who go every week. And once the habit is broken, then they could stop. So, as a person, I know at the moment you're trying to go to every European game as Which well as all the domestic games. Yeah, d- d- does there come a breaking point for you, or would you be quite content to sit back and just watch game after game after game? Oh, 100%. Um, they're, they're definitely, and, th- and this is the other side of the argument, is that, you know, and, I, and I, I've said it again on previous podcasts, is that this new Champions League format as well, for example, this will, the reason why I'm trying to do every game is because so, I've got it, it's on, as a, as a personal gain of mine, I want to be able to say that I've been to every single game in a season. And once it comes to the new Champions League format, where we're going to have, what is it, five or six games before Christmas and potentially ten, four or five ten before Christmas. Ten before five Christmas. Five so five of them will be away. Five away games before Christmas. And that could be in, I mean, that could be in Israel. That could be, that could be anywhere. Um, so you're right it does it will price out the fans and and of course there's breaking point it's it's only I'm only just able to sort of um, get by on the ones that 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 we've done and and I'm happy with that because I'm happy to support the team but yeah will it will it break the loyalty potentially for for some people I think people will be more inclined once um, once this new Champions League format comes in and then if they introduce this Club World Cup let's say in America um Will, will will people be more inclined to cherry pick games? Yes, and they'll cherry pick the likes of the PSGs and the Barcelonas and the Real Madrids. They won't. They will be less inclined to go to the smaller teams like the likes of Copenhagen, which was brilliant, by the way, um, out there. Um, and I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of any others like Bayer Leverkusen. They'll be less inclined to go to those sort of games. And they'll want to go to the big games only. Yeah, Ian, can I make a point on that, please? Go ahead. Yeah. Um... What we're doing here, and maybe this is because uh, I, I actually have my own radio show um, and we talk about this a lot. You're only speaking from a very small point of view. Um, we are because 75% of the teams don't play in the Champions League. <laughs> they don't play in massive. I mean, you, you're looking at teams like, as an example, Southampton, Aston Villa, um, you know, and so on and so on and so on. So we're only talking about Man City. Now, that's OK, but... 
you're not going to get 14 teams vote for something if they're not involved in this. So you see where I'm going with this. It, it's 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 bigger. It's bigger than Manchester City in terms of of the Premier League and voting for to do the right things. Yeah, I guess there's another thing we could bring up, but I'm not going to do it just yet. But you know, the the more the, the, the clubs like City who are going to be in everything get richer and richer and richer, and the gap yeah. between City and the rest becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. So therefore, the domestic competitions become less and less competitive. Well, that's a different debate, perhaps for another day. But Andy, you've just been out to the World Cup, and because there's a possibility that um, you know they might because there's going to be five home games in the Champions League before Christmas, that Toby, quite rightly, is identifying that you'll want to go to PSG game, you'll want to go to Real Madrid. So it'd be very easy for um, UEFA, FIFA, whichever footballing authority it is, to say, right, well, nobody will want to go to City against Copenhagen at the Etihad. Why don't we move that to uh, to mm-hmm. Qatar and play it there? Well, you've just come back from Qatar. Um, I only watched a few of the games on TV. I had a holiday. I had a bit of an escape from it for a while. And I've got to be honest, in my humble opinion, particularly the group stages, but the World Cup as as a whole is nowhere near the quality of the football we're watching City play and the top end of the Premier League play, in my opinion. So it wasn't as exciting for me, as great as the final was. And as delighted I was that um, Alvarez and Messi and, and Argentina won. But you were there. You you. I saw you do um, a comment that you quite, you know, you liked it out there, possibly, and I'm not putting words in your mouth here, but because there'd probably be less drinking, less less debauchery, less sort of unruliness. <laughs> so there was a lot better behaviour. But, but looking from the distance, I saw pockets of football fans at either end of the stadium, but lots of other people who were obviously the rich ones sitting around not making any noise. And that's what the crowds would be like for City against Copenhagen in Qatar if that happens, stretching Toby's loyalty, my loyalty, to an extreme. So tell us about your experience, Andy. Okay, so <clears throat> touching on your last point, each football association was given two and a half thousand, two, two and a half thousand tickets. That's all. Two and a half thousand tickets, no matter how big or small you were. So the, the, hard, the hardcore was exactly the red wall behind the Welsh goal, the white wall behind the English goal, and you would see, uh, obviously, other nations who typically have their holiday every four years in a place where the World Cup is. And I'll cite Argentina as one example of that. I'd cite uh, the, the American fans. They were there in huge numbers. Uh, you know, there were definitely people who made the decision to go to the World Cup long before their team had qualified even, or they really think they've got a really good chance of qualifying. So you've got this kind of, um, you know, the Germans used to only show up for the latter stages because they couldn't be bothered with the group matches and stuff like that. So from a fan's point of view, um, it was very limiting. We were very late into the um, World Cup because of the Ukraine-Russia issue. So we ended up going in a group of, um, let's say, high-ranked high teams. Uh, it's not an excuse. For 220 minutes, we didn't show up, um, which was a disappointment. But in fact, the the sort of idea of playing the World Cup in one city, which is effectively what 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 happened, would be a great advantage to those players who suffer from the fatigue uh, that that playing in such a competition brings. Because really, you were looking at 
playing the World Cup in Greater Manchester or, or even Greater London, if you were to extend it a bit wider. And on that basis, if, uh, if FIFA think it's a great idea to hold competitions with 30 clubs or 48 national teams, then London's going to be hosting the World Cup or the World Club Cup a lot because it's got all the infrastructure, which is a sustainability issue as well with regard to resources. Um, I think that this is going to, FIFA will have to rethink this idea of playing the World Cup across a continent or two continents almost the next time. I don't, I don't know how I would have managed um, if it would have been my first World Cup with Wales in Canada, Mexico and the US. I think a lot of people would struggle, um, you know, resources aren't uh, bottomless. It's expensive. Qatar was expensive enough, but at least it was <clears throat> it was good to get around. And yeah, there were a lot of fans that were not from the teams playing. But I have to say, what surprised me was just how many football fans, genuine football fans, were there. That it wasn't as um, as we'd expected. That we that, there were certainly Qataris who'd got tickets for a tenner who didn't show up, or would give it. A uh, house servant, let's say, that definitely you could find them, but generally you couldn't you couldn't get tickets easily when once you were there on the resale sites. We managed to go to six games in total, and managed to get to four of the stadia, and um, it was great. You you were never more than an hour from from a ground, um, and there was plenty of fun to be had. Um, lots and lots of alcohol available at very high prices in the hotels. People behaved impeccably. You don't misbehave in Qatar for a start. Football or no football. I didn't see one fan urinate in the street in 10 days. I mean, un unheard of. Um, you know, and so for me, it was a bit it's a bit like, you know, with City, we used to sing Wembley, Wembley, it's a shitty place in London that we're never going to see. For me, it was like, we'll never qualify. We'll never get to the World Cup. So to actually experience a World Cup was fantastic. And I think that they do it well, to be fair. Um, it was well organised from a fan's point of view. It was safe. Um, and, you know, we had a great time and there wasn't a single English or Welsh fan um, arrested or, or, or the police have been very, very, you know, it's an exemplary really. Well, OK, you might be looking at, at fans who might be, let's say, uh, being able to afford to go, that may be a different kind of fan to if it was in Europe. But actually, that wasn't where I saw on the plane going out from Manchester, which was full of England and Wales fans. It was just like going away with City, people from all walks of life. So I think the conditions and, and that, we, that we, we were treated with great respect. We never saw one helmeted or um, riot shield officer, not one dog. Nobody barking at us, telling us where to go. They had, they had these. Um, uh, they were like uh, people from acting school, let's say, who were the ambassadors and the volunteers, and they became the stars of the of the World Cup because they'd be singing songs to you, go which way to go, and there was the queue managed everything fantastically, and and honestly, it was it was a football festival that was that was to be celebrated and. I, I think personally, if there was a competition with clubs in Doha again, and City were playing five games in that place, I'd go in a flash. It was it, it, it was fantastic from that perspective. 
But if we were playing all over the place, I think I'd, I'd, I'd struggle um, to, to, to make it to all games. So I think certainly we're going to hear back from players some positives from this World Cup, apart from the fact it was 32 degrees uh, for the games that were on at 1pm local time. A lot of the games were on at 7pm and 10pm when it was nice and cool and they had air conditioning on inside the stadium, which actually in the evening games, your legs got a bit cold. So so it was, it was, it was great. Um, you know, I wish I'd stayed for longer but I wasn't going to stay if my team was out. So 10 days was my limit. And um, there was no real guarantee as being able to get tickets really for the other games because at the time we were there, there were the peak numbers. So yeah, that, that's my take on it. It was um, it was much better than I expected. And a lot of the uh, media hype, we had a load of English and, and local media uh, come and talk to us when we were going around the city. Some interviewed us, some just wanted to talk. And really what they wanted to know was, is it what you thought it was? And we said, no, it wasn't. I mean, members of my family chose not to come with me because of the press hype, that they didn't want to be in that environment. And I'm quite any sure... It, was any of it to do with the political sort of comments about the loss of life before building the stadiums or the political regime? No, it's how, how, how women are treated and how people... With, you know of different uh, sexuality are treated so I think that that more than anything um you know you, you knew when you were there that uh, everybody was was behaving there was no there was no goading of the goading of the um of the authorities at all it was it wasn't as though you know and people have been drinking from 8 a.m in the morning on the on the first day um we, we'd had a we had intercontinental hotel in in Doha available for a pre-match party. We're all paid 80 quid for five beers and a, and a curry. And the place was dry a beer by two o'clock. Um, and he bought 1.5 million quid worth of beer and we drunk it. So, you know, that they didn't have enough capacity to cope with the, the fans' needs. Everywhere you went, it was a bit of a struggle um, to, to, to actually get service, as you would expect. It caught them out a little bit. And I think that that was because whether it was FIFA or whether it was the uh, government of Qatar to withdraw alcohol from the perimeters of the stadium, what that meant was people, as you would expect, go later to the ground because they want to stay where they can drink alcohol longer. Now, now I never saw any problems with that, but I believe later on in the tournament, um, particularly when Morocco were playing, there were big issues around fan management outside the ground because I think there were issues around people having tickets, not having tickets and very a lot of control around your visa and your tickets. You had to show them all the time. So, um, yeah, I think they could have uh, done without that silly rule coming in at the last minute, to be honest, because there were great vast areas already prepared to cope with that. And nobody cared about the fan parks by the stadiums because um, they weren't serving the right drinks. Simple as that. <laughs> well, thanks for that. I mean, that's a fascinating insight to, for, for the real fan experience out there. I mean, obviously, the most the average person, myself included, would struggle to be able to afford, you know, what you've done. Um, and I, I don't know what position um, Toby would be in, but I'm guessing it, a bit like me, you know, sort of going and committing to two weeks out in Doha in a 
you know, a decent hotel and 80 quid for five pints and a curry is a bit sort of, <laughs> certainly beyond me anyway. Um, I think if you, the, if you didn't have a budget of over four, four grand, you weren't going. Hmm. Simple as that. Is obviously and that's not doing things, uh, you know, that we had shared accommodation, six people, um, economy flights. Um, and I think you're looking at between between four and five K was typically what people had spent to do a 10 day trip, maybe with mm. a couple of extra games. That's the direction football's going in, Rodney, isn't it? It's uh, it's a rich man's sport. It's becoming more and more rich. Especially, I know you you qualified it all before by saying Villa and, and all the rest of them aren't in this, but we're a city podcast. So we're talking principally about city and city yeah. now at the top table. And that's the, the, the future that city fans face, isn't it? Well, from one perspective, and I take Andy's um, comments on board, uh, Ian, in the macro sense, um, because you're talking about only one football club. So I, I, I take that on board. But, and sticking with that, uh, what I would say is this. If you're going to play 70, 80 games in a, in a calendar year, which some players are, and I'll use Kevin De Bruyne as, as the example, okay, there are uh, uh, 70 to 80 games in a calendar year which he has to play, okay? I would tend to look at the Moose Cup and say, for those European clubs that play in the Champions League or play, you know, let's say it's seven teams that play in the conference, European Conference or the Europa Cup, I would say that becomes a this is almost sacrilege. They don't play in the first three rounds. Okay. They, they miss out on the first three rounds and, and they're not involved. So they come in later in, 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 the, in the Moose Cup and, and the other teams play early on, the teams that are not involved in that. I'd also say that um, you could make it where um, younger players play in, and I know they do anyway, but younger players could play in, in the Moose Cup or, or even the FA Cup early rounds so that the superstars of Manchester City, because that's what we're talking about, and there are loads of them, by the way, um, those players don't end up playing 70, 75, 80 games a year, and they, and they stick to the maybe 45, 50, which is still high, by the way. It's still on average a game a week with no summer break. It's still a lot of football, but at least it will be manageable. 45, 50 games for the superstar players at Manchester City. Uh, that's the way I would tend to look. I don't know if you agree with that, guys, but that's the way I would tend to look at it. Well, From a player's point of view. There is a suggestion, uh, which I have a serious suggestion, and it sounds to me as if it's a credible one, that from the season after next, when the Champions League introduces the 10 matches before Christmas, that the Moose Cup, uh, to use your expression, will become um, a bit like um, City enter their under-21s in the what was the Associate Members' Cup. It has various different um, sponsors. I think it's currently the Papa John's Trophy, which are competed for by the bottom two divisions of the league. And a couple of years ago, they allowed Premier League clubs to enter under-23s or under-21 sides in that competition to make 
it more com competitive, if you like, for the young players at the big clubs. They agreed to do that. And the suggestion is that the League Cup will become um, an under-21 competition for yeah. all of those who qualify for the Champions League. Um, so, so therefore, there would be no question at any stage that any of the superstars like De Bruyne would play in yeah. it at all. Well, there you go. Even, even if they yeah. got to the final. And the FA Cup... They're doing away with replays. I think this season it's the third and fourth round only. But after that, there's no replays. So you can see the whittling down process starting to happen. Um, but suddenly, if you have a, a World Club Cup where you're, you're playing all summer, um, uh, you know, effectively, you know, another month or something like that in the summer, so that every single summer there is a there's a World Cup, there's a European Nations Cup, then there's a Club Cup. It's just never going to end, is it? Well, Ian, just to answer your question quickly, um, when you look at a tournament, tournament play, and let's use the World Cup 30 days, okay, as the example we're using, okay? Yes, it's the 30 days, but also you've got you've got a period before that where you have to prepare, you have to get with the other players because they come from different clubs, and afterwards you need at least a week uh, meltdown, don't you? So teams that go all the way through to the quarterfinals, semifinals, and so on, it's not just a four-week, it's more like a six-week, isn't it? And, and that's a problem in, 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 in any calendar of football. Six weeks out every year is just ridiculous. So as, as an ex-player, Rodney, um, yeah. how yeah. do you think that different players in the City squad, coming back now to how we move on from here. How, how do you think City uh, City players have gone out to the World Cup who've, in inverted commas, failed, like De Bruyne, mm. like Bernardo Silva, um, like Nathan Ake, you know, uh, Gundogan. How do they come back and it doesn't bother them and they move on? Because you've been in situations like that. Had the psych sure. I'm just interested in the, the psychology and, you know, the, the England players come back buoyed by the fact that they've had good PR out there, even though they haven't gone as far as they might have wanted to. How does that affect City? That's the question. Do you know what, Ian? That, that is it's such a great question. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need like um, a minute or two to, to answer the question because using my own personal example, and I played in a team with um, Willie Donachy, um, Tommy Booth, Mike Doyle, uh, Summerby, Bell, um, you know, uh, Alan Oakes, I think I mentioned, and, and um, Franny Lee. I, I played with great, great players. But Ian, your point is so well taken because they're different personalities, completely different personalities. You know, one player, I mean, Colin Bell, would have trained every day, all day, all night for six months of the year. But Franny Lee, you know, he's, he's sort of jog around. I think, well, I don't really need to be doing this. I'll, I'll save it for Saturday. So you've got different mentalities from different players and different personalities. Um, I use myself as an example. Um, I was a great trainer when I wanted to train. <laughs> <laughs> if 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 you get what I'm saying, but but if I didn't fancy it, you might as well just throw me off to the side. But when I did train, I trained great. Well, if you if you put a group of players into a format, some are going to be fantastic. Some are not going to fancy it. Some might say no. Some might say I've got a bit of a strain, boss. Um, Dennis Law, for instance, when he first came to Man City. Um, 
he seemed to get a yellow card right before Christmas all the time. And everybody thought, <laughs> why, why is suddenly Dennis got, got uh, two games off? And it was always like <laughs> Christmas and Boxing Day. Um, so you, that's the sort of, that's no, I know we're all laughing and it is great fun. But that's the, that's that's what you have to deal with. With football players, that's what you have to deal with, Ian. Certainly, surely not the modern players. I mean, you're not telling me that that a Nathan Ake is going to report back and and then say, "Oh, I don't feel so good," or get booked in his first game back so he finish, misses the second one. We have a generation here of of the most professional um, athletes that that football's ever seen, haven't we? Ian, may I remind you? that Manchester City had a player in not so long ago in a Champions League game, the manager said to him, warm up, and he went, no, I don't want to play. Carlos Tevez against Bayern Munich, away from home. Mancini said, warm up, and he went, no, I'm not playing. So don't tell me that the, the, the modern player is, is any different than going back to, to the 70s. Toby, are you worried about the players when they come back? Mentality. <laughs> that was the main point I was making in the um in the column um for for a good few weeks. I mean, I almost want to say the likes because I, I followed England quite closely, as you can probably imagine, and um, I I almost want to say that that the likes of the England players will be more, will it will be harder on them mentally because. The likes of the England players that we have are younger, like the likes of Phil Foden, um, it will be harder on them because actually England, if I mean, if you followed the world, if you watched the World Cup, England weren't actually that bad. I mean, it wasn't, this isn't one of these tournaments that we've gone with England, watched them and we've gone, well, we've been rubbish, we've been knocked out and that's just great. We've actually, we were brilliant. We didn't deserve to get knocked out against France. So I almost want to say the likes of, of the, the England players will struggle, the mentality will struggle more because they felt they would have deserved more than the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, who in a Belgian team has constantly, I mean, you look at them in the last World Cup, you look at them in the Euros, the Euros before that, they've constantly, constantly been underperforming. So I don't want to say he's used to that, but like, it, 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 there's def, I think there's definitely going to be, in my opinion, I think there's going to be more of a struggle for the players who deserved who, who believe they deserve more. I think it does come down to the play. It comes down to each mentality. You look at the likes of, um, look, at, look at a player like Bernardo Silva, whose mentality I think is one of the strongest in the City squad. Um, last year, the, At the start of last season, we could really see that he was pretty desperate to leave the club. He wanted to go um, and he didn't go. And a lot of players would turn around and sort of give up. They, they'd lose their mentality. They wouldn't perform. But not Bernardo. He turned around and performed every week and had probably one of the best seasons of his life, continuing on this season. I thought he would go in the summer. He didn't. Thank God for that. Um, but so, so that sort of mentality, I think he'll be fine. But then you look at a player who's not so mentally strong, maybe a player a bit younger. You look at a player like Phil Foden. I've made the point about Phil Foden multiple times that ever since the Champions League final, he's failed to turn up in big games as a majority. So what's he going to be like after this? He's a young player who's got who obviously this really affects him. It really, you know, you look at how he is with City. He's a massive Man City fan. He's an English player, so he wants to do well for his country. He was a big part of that team. So is that going to affect him a little bit more than potentially your other players? I think it will. I think they'll be, as, it, as I say, it comes down to the player. Are you making yeah. Rodney's point for him, really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think, Adney? Well, talking about mentality, <clears throat> I'll... I'm at the World Cup and I'm used to watching City 
and I'm used to watching Wales. So I know. I was about to say, I thought you were about to say you're used to watching Wales lose all the time, Andy. No, no, no. <laughs> See, now you're nearly like a Man United fan there. Be careful. <laughs> so um, I know what to expect. And I'm not used to going to games where my team's not involved. That's weird. But you see football differently when that's the case. And I and I thought about how well City would do in the World Cup or Real Madrid. They'd win it, and, wouldn't they? And uh, well, my point is this: I think the three teams with the strongest mentality were Croatia, France, and Argentina by some distance. And now England got knocked out because they don't have that mentality, frankly. And I think if Kane had scored, he'd have still lost. So actually, I think that says a lot about those nations and where they are with their team, maybe the mix of players' ages, uh, change of manager Argentina. They won the Copa uh, South America, which tells you something that they've got a winning mentality going into this, and not a lot of people talked about Argentina. And all the showboating that we saw in the, in the group stages from the likes of Brazil, it means nothing if you haven't got the mentality to get through Quite when right. Matters, when the margins are so, so thin. Quite right, yeah. So thin. You know, the Champions League semi-final last year, that sort of thing. When France came back at Argentina and, and it's swinging both ways, that's that, that was the best part of the World Cup, seeing the mentality monsters go up, up against each other. So I don't think those who've got the right stuff between the ears care about uh, the post-World Cup effect. I think losing in the final would probably do you some damage. Andy, Andy, could I could I add to that, please? Let me, yeah, could I ahead. add to that? Because what what you've both done, you and Toby, you're 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 kind of endorsing the point that players are different and will approach it differently. But I've just got to give you a quick 15, 20 second story about attitudes, uh, and it's so relevant today. Um, and also, it, it's because I was at Match of the City when this happened. Um, we got to the. Um, uh, the League Cup final in 1974, um, and we lost to Wolves in this game. Okay, I was so fuming at the end of the game. I was really fuming that we'd lost because I'd actually uh, stuck out my my foot to block a cross. God knows what I was doing back in my own box, but there I was, and and the ball fell to Richards, who scored the winning goal for Wolves. I was so angry. I refused to go up and get my my um, runners-up medal. I refused to do that, right? And I just walked off. And I was so angry. After this World Cup, England players were happy that they won the Fair Play Award. Are you kidding me? You win the Fair Play Award and you go, oh, we didn't we? We only had one yellow card and, and we shouldn't have really had that because Maguire really didn't commit that foul and, and we're the fair. No, no, I don't want any fair play. I want dirty play. I want Argentina. I want bad tackles. I want professional fouls. I want Zabaleta. I want I want Bernardino. I want I want players that just want to win. And and I don't believe not all of them, and it's to your point, Andy, not all of them, but there are players that come back from that and they go, well, we played in the World Cup and it was good and it was nice and we did a lot of things and we and we knelt before each game for social justice and we, you know, and that, no, not for me. I want to win. I think Martin I'd love to see is, you play in the Martin modern game, Rodney. It is behaviour in that penalty shootout. And I was thinking to myself, 
Goes, that's exactly what you want your goalkeeper to be doing. And he's got slated for it, you know. And I'm thinking, no, you've got that completely wrong. If, this, it, is the, if, this is a, this is the great point to, to to take to the end of the podcast now, because let's let's focus completely back on Manchester City. Return with the game against Liverpool in the Moose Cup on Thursday, followed by a trip to Leeds two days after Boxing Day, and those are the next two games before we do another podcast. But obviously, the whole season lies ahead. Back to not quite back to back games, but two games against Arsenal, two games against Spurs, two games against Chelsea, a trip to Old Trafford uh, at Liverpool. Pool again, Chelsea in the FA Cup. There's so much big stuff to come. We know how good City are. We know that they have some amazingly talented footballers. Yeah. Nobody can argue with that. Probably got the best coach, certainly at the moment, possibly that's ever lived in charge of Manchester City. But the one little Achilles heel that I feel that City have got is this attitude that is sort of doing whatever you need to win. Now, it's very easy when you're a Wales fan, you can analyse the other countries, but if you're an England fan, so Torby said should have beaten France, but didn't beat France, and in my opinion, uh, France did deserve to win that game. Now, that might seem like a shocking thing to say as an Englishman, but the difference between England and France wasn't ability, it was about that professionalism, that cynicism, which City, I think, still miss a little bit of. When they had Fernandinho, when they had... Um, Nigel de Jong or, or in back in the old days, Mike Doyle and people like that. They had that little bit of cynicism. This City team seemed like a very nice team of lovely footballers who play perfectly. And whilst I expect City to win the league this year when they resume, they could even win one of the domestic cups. I still have anxiety about the Champions League, not because I don't think they're good enough, but because I don't think they have that edge. So when yeah, we see a team yeah. come to, to the Etihad like Brentford or Crystal Palace or somebody that plays negatively we decry it and say oh they're anti-football. They're doing what they need to do to win against the team who have better players and possibly better tactics and it's worked for them. Morocco succeeded in the World Cup by doing that. Croatia did it and yet the City fans I saw on social media were praising Morocco, praising Croatia. Yet if that had been City playing Morocco or Croatia, <laughs> they'd have been slagging them off because they were able to step back from it because they didn't have the tribal connection. So they were able to see the difference. So are City yeah. in need of a little bit more cynicism and a little bit more of Edison playing antics in goal or whatever it might, or somebody dragging somebody down against Real Madrid last year. It didn't it call out for a city player to time waste and to drag somebody down, even though we might all be purist football fans who want to see our team win it the perfect way, which is certainly how I want to see it. You have to be realistic and you have to have the Argentinian cynicism. You do have to have the French cynicism and, and Croatia and Morocco, don't you? <laughs> Discuss, Rodney. Um, I tell you what, I like to do, Ian. If you don't mind, I like to throw it to the fans' point of view first. Is that okay? No problem, Andy. Well, I thought honestly that we'd actually grown a pair at the Atletico Madrid game last season. Little bit, I yeah. Came out of that stadium, and I thought, finally, shit outery on the top level by City at last, and that's when it stopped. Okay. And that's, for me, there must have been a clear plan and they followed it and the players have got it in them. That's what it tells me. But it isn't something which we deploy tactically 
and definitely coming into the World Cup, the games before, I don't actually think uh, we did awfully well. There were an awful lot of nils. And we haven't talked about City's performances of, of late. Yes, I'm glad we signed Guardiola up for longer during the, the break. That's the best news. But I think we're going to have to show our teeth a bit more if we're going to win what we want to win. Yeah. Toby? Can I just say, for the last year, all I've heard from you about Jack Grealish is that you don't like him. You think he's right. This is exactly the type of player that Jack Grealish is. Talking about the Atletico Madrid game, he's the the something shit hours we play. He's the player that runs on the ball. He's the player that 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 draws in the most fouls. The the player that will get you that foul when you, when you need it. Put it in the corner. I I agree. I think we do need that that almost. We are too nice as a football team. It sounds like you're campaigning to have Rodney back back in the modern game and have him have him in the current <laughs> city team. You know, throw him in there and see what and see what happens. Um, but no, I, I completely agree with with all of your points. I think, you know, I think I, I'd love to disagree. I'd love to. I, I think that's sort of been the story of this of this today a little bit. I'd love to disagree and, and come up with a counterpoint, but I can't because it's it's true. I think you know I was one of the people that are, after the Brentford game I was saying. You know, we we are against teams like Brentford and against teams like Fulham and who comes to the Etihad and sit back and and you know the, the term anti-football with the likes of Burnley have done as well. Um that th- we are forced to play this horrible type of football where it's where people would brand us boring. Um, but if it was the other way around, we'd be sitting there going, Yes, we've we've like, like Andy's just done with with Atletico Madrid, we're going, Yes, this is great, this is what we want. So I think it's one of those things that you can look at from either perspective. And if it if you're on one side of it, you're sitting there go fuming at the other team for it. If you're on the other side of it, you go in, yes, we love to see it. Um, but no, I, I I do agree. I think it's I think I think we're too I think we're too nice as a football team. I think we need a bit more of that sort of cutting edge and you know. You look at Man United, and I hate to draw comparisons with Manchester United because I absolutely hate them. But look at a player like when they had Roy Keane in there; people were scared of him. You look see what he did to to Haaland when he played; he injured him, and people were scared of the team. Um, they were scared to go near him. So why can't we have that bit more cynicism, that bit more cutting edge? Mm. I think just to just to put kind of put a bow. And the reason I wanted to hear from from a fan's point of view first, Ian, is because I wanted to put a bow around it from an ex-player's point of view, and that is this. I'm not saying that any team, we, we're talking Man City, our, our team now, but I'm not saying that you go out with that attitude. You go out to be sensational. You want to play. You want to beat teams. You want to go and you know, win three, four, five nil, and you want to play great football. But if it needs somebody to have a row, I want somebody in my team that's going to have a row. And I was lucky enough to play in a team. We probably had nine players that didn't mind having a row. Uh, and so it's not you go out that way. It's not that you go out to be um, shithousery, as you call it. But if it if a game calls for that and it's nil-nil away from home and they're having a go and they're elbowing and all that, I want in my team somebody that's going to go, ma- we're going to match that. I'm going to go down and when this player comes out, I'm going to go and sort him out because it needed in that game, right? The point, the overall point is play great football, win things. City have won things in spite of that, by the way. City have been winning things now for seven, eight years in spite of not having that really, really nasty streak. Although over the years, uh, I'm saying the last 10 years, City have had one or two or three 
that didn't mind a, a little bit of uh, sticking your foot in, a little bit of elbow in, and all that sort of stuff. So, bottom line, yes, play great football, but when it needs it, when you need somebody, that's when you need it, when you need somebody to do it, yeah. Even Vincent was prepared to uh, to do oh, a naughty oh, thing now and again, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three yeah. of them, three of them in the first uh, title-winning team. We had three. Yeah, yeah. Even you know, so, Tevez had put it about a bit as well if he needed to. So you mentioned before, Andy, about you know how City finished that first part of the season. It feels to me as if the season is just about to start. I mean, I know it isn't. We've already had a bit, and it's all there statistically. We're, we were are where we are in the league. Gabriel Jesus has got a long-term injury for, for Arsenal, which I think is probably a good thing from City's perspective, because I think he's been sensational and a big reason for the their you know where they are at the moment in the league. But yep. given where City were, not scoring as frequently as you might want, uh, dropping points against Brentford, which some people might argue was just because the players had their minds on the FA Cup, on the World Cup, I should say, um, and maybe that was the reason. Um, but given where City's form was before. Um, I, I'm going to conclude the podcast by starting with the fans and leaving Rodney till the end and okay. just saying, you know, with the games that are coming up now, with the season that, that we face going ahead, Leipzig in the, the Champions League, Chelsea in the FA Cup, Liverpool in the Carabao Cup, Arsenal start resuming five points ahead of City. How confident are, are you now that City um, will hit the straps, as they say in rugby league, and, you know, come back with form straight away and we see the very best of City? Or is there any level of anxiety that you have? So let's start with the youth first. Toby, where, where are you with City as we resume? Well, well I've, been, I've been worried about, I mean, I said it all in the build-up to the World Cup, I've been worried about the fitness levels of the players for the rest of the season now. Am I anxious? I mean... You know, people, people turn around and say we always get easy draws. Well, we've been handed Chelsea in the in the third round of the Carabao Cup. Then we've got Liverpool and then we've got Chelsea in the FA Cup as well. So we've got a horrible, horrible run now. We've got, I think it's Liverpool and we've got Leeds away, which by the way is no tough, no easy game. They've they've um they've had a habit this season of turning up against the big six. We've seen them beat Liverpool. Um, we've seen them absolutely smash Chelsea as well. Um, and then we've got the likes of United, Chelsea um, again, um, twice at the in, in a week at the start of next year. Um, so th this 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 next sort of three four weeks is going to be incredibly pivotal to our season, um, not just not just in the league, but also in terms of our domestic success. We could end up fighting after in the next. We could end up in two weeks or three weeks, only being in the. Champions League and the Premier League um, and it's highly possible because we are up against two big six teams um, I'm confident for the game um, on Thursday I've, I've never really been more confident playing Liverpool um, that this season than I have been um, any other season you know they're, they're not looking good um, this season obviously that was fate fatefully for us when we went to Anfield earlier this season um, so I'm very confident for Thursday's game. I think it will be a bit different. I think we will beat them. But then I worry for the FA Cup and I worry for our run and I worry playing United away. That's one I, I'm actually, whereas the 
quite interesting. The other derby, I was very, very confident this one because of the run we've got. I think it's going to be incredibly difficult with the players' mentality coming back from the World Cup. Are they going to be able to pick themselves back up? We have one player who's going to be absolutely on cloud nine. He's just won the World Cup. He's he's a young player. He's <clears throat> he's he's had the World Cup of his life, by the way, Julian Alvarez. He's been absolutely sensational yeah. um, for anyone that did watch it. And it just goes to a credit of what kind of player he is. And, and, it, and it says a lot that Erling Haaland, that, he, that he's a second striker. And it says a lot about Erling Haaland. And the fact we got him and Haaland for 65 million is just one of the best bits of business you'll ever see. And in my opinion, he's the long-term long -term, uh, aspiration of the striker role. I think Haaland will leave in a few years. Um, so we've got to, we've really got to en engross him into the team, I think, over these next few games, because he's going to be a, a, in a lot of confidence. And we've got to manage the mentality and the, um, and the fitness of the, of the players that were in the World Cup, definitely. So mm. just let me pin you down to one short answer then. Are you full of confidence as the season um, resumes or, or have you got a level of anxiety? Oh, I've definitely, I'm confident for Thursday, but I've, I've got a level of anxiety going forward. Andy? Well, we don't normally start seasons well under Pep, but this season was different. So always when we've had a break and he likes the players to get R&R, &R, which is great. Um, but I think as well, this this is almost like a slate clean time now with uh, the World Cup. There's no There's no excuses now. And I think that quite a few players were short of game time in the World Cup, partly because their team went out early and partly because they weren't selected. And certainly from when I played sport, you were champing at the bit to play if you hadn't been, or when you were coming back from in, injury or whatever. And they were talking about who they got to play, Liverpool, Chelsea, Everton, Leeds, Man United. Which player wouldn't want to be selected in those games? So I have absolutely no doubt that we're going to be mentally ready for those games. Whether we perform in them or not is another sub is another matter because that depends as well on the other 15 players that we'll be playing against on the night or 16, wherever it is now, with subs. And, you know, we have got depth and we have got quality and we've been here before. So I'm pretty confident. And I think you don't want City in your wing mirrors. And that's what Arsenal have got. So I'm confident. Uh, fair yeah. enough. Just before I get Rodney's view, uh, another big shout out to Howard Solicitors. Stockport, Ashton and Cheshire, they specialise in family law. As I mentioned before, you're going through a separation or having problems with access to your children or social services. Give them a call, 0161872999, and I thank them very sincerely for their support. Um, Rodney, going forward, um, start of a new season almost, but with a five-point advantage in the title race going to Arsenal and big games to come. Um, do you feel confident that City under Pep and with the great players that they've got are going to just hit the ground running and and win everything, or do you have any anxiety? <laughs> um, I'm totally confident that City will come out firing. Um, I think it's going to be a tremendous end to the season. I think City will be in the frame for everything they want to be. Um, they will make changes in certain games and play some of the younger players and some of the academy players in certain games. Um want to make a point that Toby made, which is an excellent point from a fan's point of view, not a good point from a player's point of view. And I'll tell you why. 
Um, he was talking about playing all these games come over. In my first year at Manchester, I think it was my first year. You can check it out, Ian. So I'm sure you will, because you always like to prove me wrong. Um, we played against Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool, Manchester United, um, and Chelsea, I think it was. I scored four goals in four games against all of them. And I loved it. And we, and we won every single game. And I loved it. And I wanted to play more. If I could have played him twice, I wanted to play him twice. Um, so that's from a player's point of view. Um, there's one thing that I want every City fan to look out for. Okay. Um, because it will come up. I think this will come up. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. But I think it will come up. I think Pep is going to try and find a way to play Julian Alvarez and Haaland in the same team. I think he's going to try. Now, that sounds a little bit crazy because they both are the number one striker. I think he's going to try and find a way in and maybe even switch to a 4-4-2. That's just a take on it. I don't know how he's going to try and fit him in, but I think he will. I don't think Alvarez is going to be on the bench for the next six games. I think he's going to try and find a way to get them both to play in the same team. There you go. That's my take. And finally, the Liverpool game, of course, is is two days away. I'm sure that Julian Alvarez will be celebrating somewhere in Argentina, so won't be involved in that. Um, there's been a lot of talk today about the tension between Liverpool and City fans, and I certainly don't expect you to comment on that, Rodney, and that's perhaps something we'll take up in the next podcast when the game has been played. There'll be about 6,000 Liverpool fans at the, the club. I think the City the club themselves have slightly misjudged the statement that they put out today, almost suggesting that the uh, that there's problems between the two sets of fans. Whereas from my perspective, it's pretty much always the Liverpool fans that are the problem, if not entirely. But we'll not talk about that. I just wondered, Rodney, what you think about, you know, coming back with a game between City and Liverpool at the Etihad in the in the Moose Cup. I mean, what what what, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, we called it the Moose Cup because of uh, the caribou uh, and the moose. We called it that because it was such a, a meaningless tournament these days. It didn't used to be, um, but it is these days when you get, you know, I think I think last year, I can't remember who the team was. It, it may have been Liverpool uh, last year or the year before. They played seven academy players in the game. I definitely remember that game and, and they kind of lost like 5-0. Um so it's lost its value. So I don't know how they're going to line up. I don't know how City are going to line up. I have no clue how Liverpool are going to line up. Um, so I cannot answer the question on the grounds of the Fifth Amendment. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, it's been great having you on, uh, Rodney. I know I'm I'm your guest on on Wednesday on your program. So yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk again. I then. hope you're as good as me, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> impossible, impossible. Um, big, big thanks very much to Toby for uh, filling in for me on my newspaper column. You can have a look at his columns on questmedia.co.uk and slash, if you scroll down to sport, you'll find my latest column because I'm back. But the previous four weeks, you'll see what uh, what Toby was writing about the World Cup. Uh, very reluctantly big... gave it back to you, by the way. I was very much enjoying <laughs> your ti- Your time will come, Toby. <laughs> for everybody else that stood in for me down the years who don't now do my jobs um in terms of uh, in terms of andy um great great um experience to hear from of your trip to qatar very insightful so thanks very much for your time Pleasure. and the great
like Rodney, 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 Marsh. Thanks a lot, boys. Thank you. We'll be back with another episode of Forever Blue after the Leeds game. So there won't be one between the two matches. We'll do one, something like the the 29th or something. But of course, the match day vlog, which I do, will return for the Liverpool game on Thursday. So you're out and about near the stadium and you see me come and say hello and you can get involved. In the meantime, have a really good Christmas. If you celebrate Christmas, which most people do, don't they? Uh, have a great Christmas and uh, enjoy the return of Manchester City after the World Cup. But if you only remember one thing from this podcast, just mm-hmm. remember this. It's great to be a blue. <laughs> <laughs>